It's Thursday, September 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Controversy continues to follow NFL wide receiver Antonio Brown. After being dropped by the Oakland Raiders and picked up by the New England Patriots, Brown is now facing allegations that he raped a former trainer. The NFL is considering a range of options which could include making him ineligible to play. Neil Greenberg, sports reporter for the Washington Post, joins us for more. Next, the popular kids' YouTube channel Ryan Toys Review has been hit with an FTC complaint, alleging that they are misleading preschoolers into watching ads by not disclosing sponsorship deals. The channel has over 21 million subscribers and brought in $22 million last year. Stephanie McNeil, BuzzFeed News reporter, joins us for this complaint against a YouTube channel featuring a seven-year-old. Finally, Republican Dan Bishop pulled off a critical win beating Democrat Dan McCready in a special election to represent North Carolina's 9th Congressional District. It was an important race that was seen as a testing ground for President Trump's political messaging heading into 2020. Max Greenwood, national political reporter at The Hill, joins us for this crucial GOP win. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We've looked into the situation. We're taking it very seriously um, all the way through the organization. Um, sure, there are questions, but um, I'm not going to be entering into a discussion about that today. Joining us now is Neil Greenberg, sports reporter for The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Neil. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. The NFL season has just got underway, and we already have a huge scandal. It's all surrounding one player in particular. This is Antonio Brown, the former Steeler, then Raider, now New England Patriot. There was this all this tumultuous time that was happening with the Raiders. He was dropped there. The New England Patriots picked him up. And now he's been accused of rape by a former trainer. Neil, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Antonio Brown. Pretty much a day after he was signed by the New England Patriots, a civil lawsuit was filed in Southern District of Florida, where Antonio Brown was accused of exploitation, sexual assault, and rape. The plaintiff is a 28-year-old former trainer of his who uh, says, alleges Brown sexually assaulted her on three occasions. And now it's uh, a he said, she said situation. Brown, through his lawyers, has denied the allegations. His lawyer is even calling it a, quote, a money grab. Right. But now we're, we're in a situation where the NFL is probably going to take action. The Washington Post, Mark Maskey reported that the NFL is giving serious consideration to putting Brown on the commissioner exempt list. That would essentially put Brown on temporary paid leave while the league completes their investigations into the accusations. While on the list, Brown would not be able to practice with the Patriots or play in any games. And you know, like you said, he showed up at practice today. He is allowed to practice with the team, but it looks like the next step we're going to get is him being put on the exempt list. And I think that's going to be accelerated a little bit because the Pennsylvania district attorney came out earlier today and said they're going to look into the allegations as well. So right now it's a civil matter, but with the district attorney looking into it, it could end up being a criminal matter as well. What else is Antonio Brown's team saying? Because I know his lawyer said that, obviously you mentioned that they think it's a money grab, but they are saying that they did have a consensual sexual relationship. That is um, Antonio Brown's defense right now, that it was consensual. Obviously, the former trainer 
has a much different view. And the Patriots aren't saying anything other than we're aware of the situation and we're going to pretty much leave it up to the NFL to make a decision from here. He was practicing with the team, as I said earlier. So for them, in terms of the player reporting to camp and going through the paces as you would expect the player with the new team, that's all taking place right now. But the NFL doesn't really need much to find that um, Brown has violated the policy, which includes assault and battery, including sexual assault or other sex offenses. So they only need credible evidence to establish that he violated the policy. The league is always under a lot of pressure to react to these things very quickly. They don't have the best track record when it comes to handling these types of issues and they've been accused multiple times of not getting it right. So once again, they're put in this situation where if they don't handle this investigation right, if they don't take quick enough action, it looks bad for them also. And I think some people think that the policy is not consistently enforced. You look at Ezekiel Elliott, he was suspended six games in 2017 for domestic violence-related conduct, despite his denial and questions about evidence. This year, Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill was not disciplined by the NFL, despite uh, a verbal warning aimed at his fiance that could have been considered a violation of the policy. I mean, there are some instances where, you know, the NFL has not taken action when you thought that they would. But this certainly seems to be a situation that the accusations are obviously heinous. So it's something that uh, is going to be looked at pretty strongly. My guess, and this is just my own personal guess, I think that he does end up on the commissioner exempt list. And that means that, you know, he's he's pretty much going to be on paid leave. And, you know, if at the conclusion of that, they find that Brown violated the policy, then the minimum suspension is six games without pay. But, you know, the commissioner's exempt list is an option for the NFL to get in a wait and see approach. And I think that for the league, there's no downside in doing that as they start to investigate the allegations. And in the meantime, Brown's accuser, his former trainer, she said that she is open to meeting with the NFL and any other agencies that are going to be investigating to look into these uh, three separate instances that she said where he uh, either raped or assaulted her. And these were all done uh, either at his home or in Florida as well. But there were, as I said, just three different occasions where they did meet. The other flip side of it is that Antonio Brown's team is saying that She came up to him with some type of uh, business deal or business investment that he didn't want to get involved in. And then this is why these allegations have come out since. Obviously, they're both going to have their own sides of the story. And it might be quite a while before we understand which of the sides are more truthful. As we've seen before, I mean, it's really imperative that we take victims' allegations very seriously. And it requires a very thorough investigation. Neil Greenberg, sports reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Ryan has teamed up with Colgate to help make oral care fun. Brushing my teeth makes me feel ready for school and excited to see my friends. Now let's go to Colgate to see how I make my own mouth care products. Let's go. Joining us now is Stephanie McNeil, BuzzFeed news reporter. Thanks for joining us, Stephanie. Of course, anytime. I've always been fascinated with how much money you can make on the internet. And 
in recent years throughout YouTube, everybody has their own channel and there are tons of subscribers and they're making money off of ads. One of the subsets of this that has been super fascinating to me always has been these unboxing videos and kids playing with toys and other kids love to watch these videos. They love to kind of live vicariously through these kids playing with toys and then they want to go buy the toys after. So it's become a multi-million dollar business on YouTube. And one channel in particular is Ryan Toys Review. Ryan's YouTube channel in 2018 made $22 million dollars. But now he's being slapped with an FTC complaint about deceptive marketing to kids. Stephanie, tell us a little bit about what's going on with it. I feel like it's hard for adults to understand why children are so obsessed with these videos. But I saw someone yesterday on the Internet explain it very well, where it's almost like reality TV for children. Mm -hmm. They get to watch other kids doing things they would like to do or maybe are doing at home. So when you think about it that way, it kind of does make sense why these videos are so successful. But also a lot of parents don't really like them because at the end of the day, they are just a lot of ads for different toys. And I'm not a parent, but I remember being a child. And when you see a bunch of toys on TV, all you do is annoy your parents to (laughs) buy them for you, right? Exactly. (laughs) So... One of the things in this FTC complaint, and it was filed by Truth in Advertising, which has done a lot of work on influencer marketing, because influencer marketing is really the wild, wild west. You know, it was only a few years ago that influencers didn't really disclose at all whether something was a paid ad, which is obviously problematic for many reasons. People are being sold things without any idea that the person is being conned. So in Ryan's case, he is noting on his videos that Some of the videos are sponsored, but what the complaint is alleging is that the videos are not distinct enough that kids in their minds can recognize them as ads. Adults who are, you know, obviously have a little bit more life experience and understanding of these things, they can recognize an ad, but kids can really only tell something's an ad if there's a traditional ad break like we would see on television. Just for a little bit of background, Ryan is a seven-year-old kid who's been YouTubing since 2015. The channel is run by his parents. They have 21 million subscribers, and his videos have been viewed more than 31 billion times. That's just a crazy number. But I saw this video specifically with his Colgate partnership. He was making a toothbrush and toothpaste and like mouthwash, things like that. And in the beginning of the video, there is a voiceover that says, Ryan's partnering with Colgate to make these things. And then the video is like about eight minutes long and it shows him going through the process in the factory of making the stuff, packaging it, the whole nine. And you're right, there is no ad break in the middle where you would have like a traditional TV show with a commercial break. But as an adult, you see that and you're like, okay, yeah, this is totally paid for by Colgate. What do they expect for these YouTubers to do? To literally put another ad break right in the middle that repeats the same thing that they did in the beginning of the video? The law that they cite in the complaint says that ads must be clearly and conspicuously disclosed in a manner that will be easily understood by the intended audience. So essentially what the complaint is arguing is that the intended audience is young, young children who do not have the cognitive understanding that we do when we see this and it says very briefly at the top by the way he has partnered with colgate the only thing that children can understand is when there's very clear lines drawn between ads and 
normal programming. Another thing that they argue is that the content that is an ad looks very similar to his normal videos. They pointed out one video that was an ad for Carl's Jr. or Hardee's and another video that was extremely similar content-wise that didn't appear to be sponsored. And they said because these two videos were very similar with only that one disclosure at the top of the first one, there's no way a child can understand in their mind that one is an ad and one is not an ad. And because the video is for children, that distinction has to be made. What have Ryan's parents who run the YouTube channel, what have they said about this? They sent me a statement where his father told me that they follow all the platforms terms of use and they make a point that this is something that really is not very regulated and the onus is also on the platforms to kind of make it easier for audiences to understand whether it's an ad or not. Instagram now has things on Instagram stories where it says on the top very boldly if something is a paid partnership so what the statement from the father said was they encourage everyone to work together to come up with new ways to make sure that these things are better labeled, but they are adhering to all of the standards that are currently in place. Stephanie McNeil, BuzzFeed News reporter, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Joining us is Max Greenwood, national political reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Max. Yeah, thanks for having me. Conservative Republican Dan Bishop has won a special election for an open House seat in North Carolina. This was a seat that was really under a lot of intense scrutiny. The last time that this seat was up for an election, there was a lot of ballot fraud that was happening. The Democrat was down by like about 900 votes. So the voting was super, super slim. It was a super slim margin. Max, tell us a little bit about Dan Bishop's win and what this all means. Well, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it, and it depends who you talk to. Republicans are really selling this as a huge victory for Donald Trump and the Republican Party heading into 2020. I was on a conference call earlier this morning with Brad Parscal, Trump's campaign manager, who, you know, was pretty open in saying that without Donald Trump stepping into this race at the last minute, he held a rally in Fayetteville on Monday, there would be no congressman-elect Dan Bishop. So certainly expect Republicans to be celebrating today. This means that they're holding on to a district that they've represented for almost 60 years at this point, right. and they're pretty happy about that. And Dan Bishop himself even thanked the president, uh, aligned himself with him on a lot of policies during his own campaign, things like the border wall. So he was right there in lockstep with the president. His whole campaign was about supporting Donald Trump and telling voters to send an ally of the president to Washington. He talked a lot about President Trump's border wall and the need to build that. He talked a lot about the need to protect Second Amendment rights. He's called Donald Trump the greatest fighter that the White House has ever seen. So certainly that was the crux of his campaign and the crux of his message. And at least for now, it looks like it worked. There is the other side of this, which is it's not all positive for Republicans. This kind of reaffirms what 
2018 taught us when Democrats won a lot of House seats, particularly in suburban districts. Dan McCready, the Democrat in this race, actually increased his margins this time in Mecklenburg County, where Charlotte and its immediate suburbs are located, which seems to suggest that the suburbs are really firmly moving into the Democratic sphere. The Republicans are increasingly leaning on rural white areas to hand them victories. How long has this seat been open? Because the last time when the election happened, there was a big ballot fraud scheme that happened, and then they basically ended the race and they kicked off this whole primary all over again for, I think it was 10 different people were in this in the primary for the special election. Like They had to do a whole redo. So at this point, this seat in the 9th District has been open for about nine months. You know, it was last represented by Robert Pittenger, a Republican who last year lost a primary to Mark Harris, who in turn dropped out of this race, this special election earlier this year after the state board of elections uncovered a ballot fraud scheme. So it resulted in a 10-way Republican primary. Dan Bishop came out of that primary as a nominee, and he was a favorite candidate. I remember speaking to a top Republican official in North Carolina about seven months ago now, who told me Dan Bishop is our guy. He's who we want. And they were really hoping he got the nomination, and he did. Dan McCready, as you'll recall, ran against Mark Harris in last year's election, and he never faced a primary challenge after the special election was called, so he automatically assumed the nomination, and that's what gets us to the election yesterday. Tell us a little bit more about Dan Bishop. As a state senator, he's probably best known for a North Carolina law that was dictating which public bathrooms transgender people could use. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people kind of think of him with that. But what else do we know about Dan Bishop? Dan Bishop is about as conservative of a state senator as you can get. As you mentioned, he was the author of North Carolina's really now infamous bathroom bill that did kind of dictate what bathrooms people that identify as non-binary or as transgender could use and couldn't use. He's also gotten some scrutiny over this campaign about a vote in 2017 in the state Senate, where he was the only state senator to vote against a measure that would have allowed pharmacists to discuss the lower cost alternative drugs with patients, something called a, a gag rule, essentially. What he's said about that is that he supported that bill in principle, but that he didn't have time to read it before the vote took place. Democrats have said that he supports higher drug prices. He supports higher health care prices. He's denied that, but he's certainly come under scrutiny for his record in the state Senate over the course of this campaign. And we should note that that bathroom law was repealed after the national outcry over it. I think the Associated Press estimated that it cost North Carolina about $3.7 billion overall. So, you know, it, it's just going to be interesting to see now that the seat is full, what the congressman elect will be doing. And I know Democrats, obviously, they're sad that they didn't win. But it still shows inroads that they've made in a seat that's been held by the GOP for nearly 60 years. And everybody's obviously all uh, always trying to make associations to what's going to happen in 2020 because of this. So it'll be very interesting to see what develops out of all of this. Max Greenwood, national political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.